Verse 65 to 68. Psalm 119. Thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord, according unto thy word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. Thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are good. You do good, and you are overall. And we just ask that you bless this time this morning and that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Stan Fair, y'all remember him? He once told me, always have a message in your back pocket because you never know when you might need it. So this is a back pocket message. Actually, uh, this... uh, Friday night, I was with Mr. Lua and his uh, four of his daughters. We were camping out up at Lake Livingston and had a, had a great time, wonderful time with them. A little soggy, but we had a great time. And um, I'm, I'm talking to the girls around the campfire and talking about preaching. And I said, hey, um, I might have an opportunity to preach again sometime. What do you, what do you think I should talk about? And uh, Sing Sing, or Joy, she, uh, in her wisdom, she uh, gives me a great word of advice. Listen to this. She says, you should just give the same lesson you gave last time because everybody that fell asleep would be able to hear the rest of it. <laughs> Wise words. Appreciate those. Though I'm, I'm not giving that lesson again. Um, actually, I, uh, this is a message I had the opportunity to give at a men's breakfast uh, last year at a conference that uh, we attend. We attend almost every year. It's a very special conference, and the the topic was the goodness of God. And um, it is such a blessing to talk about the goodness of God. In fact, if I wanted to, I could just hand the microphone to everybody and say, "Tell me about the goodness of God," and we could fill this hour with testimony of the goodness of God. It is such a blessing to know God is good. Um, I. I gave a little testimony of something that happened to us that is related to this conference we went to um, last August. Actually, seven years ago, um, we were about to have our youngest daughter. And um, it was getting close to the time of her being born, Ella Ruth. Um, but it turned out, as we got close to the delivery date, the baby was breech. And so we were wondering what we were going to do about that. Um, we talked to the doctors, and they said, well, we can go in, and they can do a version where they basically smash the baby and get her to go head down. And um, so we scheduled the date. We were going to go in and do that, and they would induce labor. And so Ruth had had six children before without any issues. So we show up early to the hospital, 5 o'clock in the morning, I believe, and they begin that process, pushing the baby down and with an ultrasound, they can see where the baby's at, and uh, got the baby in position, so we think we're good, and they begin the process of delivery, and they have the heart monitor on the baby, and after we had been there a little bit, the monitor quit working, and we weren't hearing the sound of of the heart, and I start trying to adjust it, something's not right here, and couldn't get it, and the nurse comes back in, and she tries to adjust it, it doesn't work, and um, so I said, well, we better go get the ultrasound machine again. And so they go check, 
and the baby has flipped back the opposite direction. And we were at the point in labor where you, you couldn't do anything else, so we had to go into emergency C-section. Well, as it turned out, um, Ruth had a fibroid, a baseball-sized fibroid that was preventing the baby from being born. The baby could not have been born naturally. It was a very extensive T-cut they had to put into her. Um, so a, a difficult situation, but um, she got through it. The baby was born. She's healthy. And Ruth comes out of surgery, and everything's okay. And as she begins the healing process, a few days later, she became very sick. And we didn't understand what was going on, but she got sicker and sicker. And finally, they did a test, and she was positive for Clostridium difficile colitis, C. diff. Maybe you've heard of it. It's, a, it's one of these superbugs that can uh, actually destroys your colon, uh, can cause your colon to rupture. Um, it was a very, very scary situation, and many other things were going wrong. Her, her health was declining rapidly, and uh, just one of the scariest things, the hardest thing we've ever been through as a family. But in fact, what the doctor um, examined her, he was one of those where he comes out and says, sit down, Mr. Adams. And he tells me, he says, your wife is like an HIV patient, and her immune system just cannot keep up with what is going on. And um, he showed me pictures that I uh, won't describe, but um, she was not doing well. Um, but God is good, and she's here today with my little girl. And so as he, he actually gave, he says, here's, we're going to do three things. He says, we're going to give her a pick line where they put that intravenous line to her heart, basically to feed her intravenous nutrition. They gave her an anti-inflammatory they use for Crohn's disease and a brand new antibiotic called phydaxomycin. You learn a lot when you're in the hospital for about a month. But you, he gave her these things, and he said, either these things are going to work. Well, he says, he says three, we have three options here. Either we'll see her begin to improve, and she'll be good, or in the next few days, we won't see improvement, and I'm going to take her colon out. Or her colon could rupture at any point, and she likely will not make it. And I'm thinking, we just came to have a baby. You know, never foresaw this coming. But... Praise the Lord, the first option did happen. And uh, it was one night, I, my, my day would go like this. I would wake up in the morning after taking care of a brand new baby all night. I would go to the hospital. Well, somebody would just show up at my house. I don't know, just people would show up at my house. Uh, thank goodness for the body of Christ who just served us in, in such an incredible way. I would go to the hospital. I would spend the day with her, and then I would come home. And one evening, it was during this conference that we were had gone to, a man, a good friend of ours, called me, and he said, I, I just want to see how you're doing, and I explained the situation, and he says, I just want you to know this entire conference is praying for you, and they had stopped a session, and the whole conference prayed for us, and I remember walking downstairs, and uh, my son Gabriel was, I don't know, 12 years old or so, and he just looks up at me and says, Daddy, is Mama going to be okay? And all I could think to say was, Mr. Keyes, our friend, just called me off, got, I got off the phone with him, and he said that entire conference was praying for Mama. And we know people in Colorado and Connecticut, even down in Mexico and all over the country are praying, and I believe God is going to answer those prayers. And he did. Amen. And God is good, and he's so good. And I had to share that testimony 
because this message is what I had the opportunity seven years later to, to give this message at that conference at the prayer breakfast. Um, the other interesting thing is I prepared this actually for a Sunday school class. And um, at the time I was preparing it, well, I, I didn't know what I was going to speak on. I just spoke on the glory of God. And I had something in mind. It was before I was doing the church history series. I had something in mind, but it just didn't. Something wasn't right about it. But I didn't know what else I was going to talk about. And so I just kept preparing for that. And, um, and then one day I get the, a text from the director of this conference. And he says, hey, Matt, I wonder if you could speak at the, the men's breakfast. It's on the goodness of God. And that's when it hit me that the glory of God and the goodness of God are very closely connected. And I knew right at the moment, that's my next Sunday school lesson, and that's what I'm going to speak on. And so I actually did prepare this for a Sunday school lesson. And you see this um, very clearly in Exodus chapter 33, verse 19. And this is when Moses asked God, he says, show me your glory. And what did God say to him? He said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. And that's what God did. His goodness and his glory are very closely connected. Um, in fact, I was, I was uh, reading a book by Steve Lawson called Show Me Your Glory. And as soon as I got that call, I grabbed the book. I hadn't finished it. And I turned to the chapter, which was on the goodness of God. And I was like, this is it. This is what the Lord wants me to speak on. So as I began to pre prepare that message, what happened? Let's see. The whole family got sick. The catalytic converters were stolen off my truck. One of our AC units went out. Remember, this was back in July. Then, the, then our other AC unit went out. Both our AC units went out. Uh, we got a nail in the tire. <laughs> it's like, thank you, Lord. You are still good because these little trials do not detract from God's goodness. The Lord give, the Lord blessed. The Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Can we say that with Job, even when we are hit with difficulties? Um, but I said, speaking on the goodness of God should be something very easy for all of us, because he is so good. Um, we may have all learned this little prayer as children. God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Anybody ever say that? I don't, I don't know that I ever taught my children that, but I remember saying it as a as a child, and um, I was thinking about that, that these two perfections of God, his greatness and his goodness, they're two different things. They may sound similar, but they're actually two different things. When we think of his greatness, we think of his power. The fact that he spoke and the universe leapt into existence, right? And the more we study creation, we had the lesson on creation this morning, and we see just the power of God in creating the universe, maybe you've seen the new James Webb telescope pictures, just incredible pictures of the universe. That's the greatness of God, his power that he created all things. But his, his goodness is what makes his greatness so special. You know, we being a finite people, we have a hard time uh, even grasping how powerful he is. And uh, we actually have to be careful that we consider the glory of God, that we don't get the idea that he is this distant, 
you know, sovereign dictator that's controlling everything and making our lives miserable, right? We, we cannot um, take that, that, get that idea. And sometimes if it's all, that's all we focus on, we can sometimes get an idea that he's not personal, he's not close to us. Steve Lawson, in his book, he said this. He said, given these truths about the divine nature, we might be tempted to conclude that he is a stern dictator, a detached deity, uncaring toward his creation. God, um, that God is, is a stoic sovereign, devoid of, devoid of feeling, merely making calculated chess moves from heaven, but nothing could be further from the truth. Truthfully, God is the very opposite. The Bible teaches that he is good and gracious, kind and caring. In fact, God is so good that the word God in English is derived from the German word, which means good. Did you know that? His heart is a perpetual fountain of goodness, flowing like a swelling river that overruns its banks. We are literally deluged with the kindness of God, immersed with his benevolence. An ocean of divine benevolence is being lavished upon us from his throne of grace. God is the source of all good things, and he delights in bestowing good gifts upon his creation. That's Steve Lawson. The great Puritan John Owen in the 1600s, he wrote, he said, God is so infinitely high and lofty, so inhabits eternity in his own eternal being, that it is an act of mere grace in him to take notice of things infinitely below him. Think about that. It is an act of his grace to even reach down towards us. He says, the infinite and essential greatness of the nature of God with his infinite distance from the nature of all creatures means that God has to humble himself to take notice of the things infinitely below him. And you think about this, or my engineers. How far is any finite point from infinity? It's infinitely far away. Because God, and God is infinitely far from us. And so that's why we can't boast. There's nothing we can boast. No matter how rich you are, no matter how strong you are, God is always infinitely far above us. And all of us together are nothing compared to him. Um, you see this actually in Psalm 113, verses 4 and 4 to 6. It says, The Lord is high above the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who dwells on high, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and the earth. God humbles himself to behold us. Isn't that interesting? Yes, his greatness is far more than we can even fathom, but it is his goodness that motivated himself to, um, motivated him to humble himself and become a man. And y'all see where I'm going. Philippians 4, R2, verses 6 and 8. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Praise be to God that Jesus Christ humbled himself and died on the cross for us. Titus 3, verses 4 and 5, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but of but according to his own mercy, 
by the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. In fact, you um, see this all throughout Scripture, right? All over Scripture, you can see the goodness of God, and you see His goodness associated with His mercy, because we don't deserve His goodness. And it is absolute mercy that He humbles Himself and blesses us. Psalm 25, 7, Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for, your, for the sake of your goodness. You know, he saves us for his own glory. Praise the Lord, because we don't deserve any of it. There is not a greater display of his goodness than when he saves lost sinners. Romans eleven twelve 12 says, Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou shalt be cut off. This is actually... Well, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was a great Welch uh, preacher in the early 1900s. Um, excellent preacher, if you have time to look up his sermons. Uh, they, they are recorded, you can listen to them. In fact, when I had COVID, I sat listening to Martin Lloyd-Jones sermons. And uh, something about that, that accent, that Welsh. I, I made the mistake when I was speaking at the conference, I said that Scottish accent, and a young man came to me afterwards and says, I have to tell you something, Martin Lloyd-Jones would be rolling over in his grave. He was Welsh, not Scottish. Okay. Sounds the same to me. Anyway, um, he's a fantastic preacher. But he preached on this uh, verse in Romans 11. And um, in this passage, it can be a little confusing, but Paul is warning the Gentile believers to not fall into the same trap that the Jews had, um, that they had taken the grace of God for granted. You know, they thought they were the chosen people, they didn't, you know, and they ended up living, you know, like the heathen. They were not walking in humbly before God. Um, but we, today, we have the same potential issue, right? Um, we must always keep, our eye, keep an eye on falling into believing in justification by works. Um, the root of this is pride, or it's a lack of humility. William Tyndale, he said... The goodness, you remember William Tyndale? He actually was the first person to translate the Bible into English. Um, and then he ended up being burned at the stake because of it. But he said, the goodness of God, or God's goodness, is the root of all goodness. And our goodness, if we have any, springs from his goodness. Even our own goodness comes from God, right? So the Jews, they thought that because they were God's chosen people, that they didn't have anything to worry about. But Paul warns the Gentiles here, he says, don't fall into that same trap that the Jews did. Hebrews 10, 29 says, how much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? Never take your salvation for granted. And stay humble before God because he paid it all for us, right? And many, many people end up shipwrecked in their faith because they believe they can trample underfoot the grace of God by living however they want for their own glory. And we mustn't do this. Lloyd-Jones, he says, The best corrective against pride and all that accompanies pride 
The best corrective against pride, or if you prefer, or if you prefer it, our greatest need always is to know God, to know the character of God, to know the truth about God. We must know God for who the Bible says that he is, right? If we focus on only one aspect of God and neglect other elements of his character, we may fall into idolatry. Worshiping a God that we have created in our own mind rather than the God of the Bible. You ever thought about that? Um, Lloyd-Jones, he says, the whole of our thinking should always be controlled by our knowledge of God. In other words, our greatest need is to know God as he has revealed himself to us in Scripture. To put it in the negative form, our greatest lack as a Christian people always is the lack of the knowledge of God. Without this proper knowledge of God, we uh, tend to run amok in our walk with God. Ephesians 4, it says, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, the cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. So we have to be careful, those that preach the tickling ears passages, right? That can cause us to run amuck and run off into, into a false teaching. And guess what? You see this all over the place today. In fact, you see today... Uh, many churches focus on one aspect of God. What is that one aspect of God that people love to focus on? Love, right? Which is, God is love. It's one of his greatest attributes, right? But if you only focus on that one aspect, you tend to get a lot of things wrong. God is love, but he is also truth and justice. That is what this word severity in uh, Romans 11 means. It actually means severe and exact justice. When we say, I can't believe in a God who would do that, who would punish people for that, yet that's what the Bible teaches? Well, we've fallen into idolatry, worshiping a God other than the God of the Bible, a God we've created in our own minds, and that is idolatry. When our view of God is not biblical, our view of many other things becomes skewed. Our view of sin and man in sin is skewed. We say things like, oh, I just made a little mistake, you know. Or he, he did something wrong, but, you know, he's sorry about it. and he, that, He's sorry that he got caught anyway. We define, we define it in terms of man, but in Scripture, sin is always defined in terms of God. The, uh, the Catechism for Boys and Girls, which we've used some in our family. I need to get back to it. It's been a while. I think my little ones need to learn some catechism questions. But question 30 says, what is sin? And the answer is, sin is any transgression of the law of God. You see this in 1 John 3, Romans 3, James 2. And it says, what is meant by transgression? And the answer is doing what God forbids. You see, sin is defined in terms of God. We violate a holy God when we sin. And when we choose to sin, we choose, we're saying, I know better than God. John, 1 John 3, 4 says, Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And Romans 3, 20 says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no man be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. All of Scripture points us to this, points us 
the fact that we are sinners and we need a Savior. We can't be good enough to save ourselves because sin is disobedience to God. Romans 3, 10 through 12, it says, or, I'm sorry, when we, when we have a false view of God, we end up with a false view of the atonement. We say things like, you're just so special. God loves you so much. But the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. But guess what? Romans 5, 8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Hallelujah. This is what makes God's goodness so sweet that we don't deserve it. Yet he died while we were still sinners. Yes, God loves us, but he doesn't love us because we're so special. He loves us because he is so good. In fact, Ephesians 2, it says this, and you were dead. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with, with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. When we realize how far we are from God, when we think about God is infinitely so far above us, and we see how our sin has separated us from him, you know, we, you don't have to be Hitler, Mussolini, or Joseph Stalin. James 2, verses 9 says, but if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law of tra as, as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. But here's the good news again, Romans 5. But Christ died for us that we might be reconciled to God. Or as Martin Lloyd-Jones said, reconciled to God. <laughs> for if when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. God is so good. There is no greater display of God's goodness and severity together than on the cross. Justice being served on our behalf by the severe treatment of Christ being nailed to the cross. But oh, the goodness shining like a beacon of hope with his mercy being poured out on us by saving an undeserving people. I love the, uh, the Gettys song. Um, it goes like this, two wonders here that I confess, my worth and my unworthiness, my value fixed, my ransom paid at the cross. There's a verse in Matthew eleven eleven that uh, helps us think about this, our worth and our unworthiness. It's, it says, Verily I say unto you, among those 
that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Have you thought about that? Jesus just said, John the Baptist, there's nobody greater than John the Baptist. This is a really good guy. But he is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist? That's, that's me. That's you. We, we are the least in the kingdom of heaven. Why can he say that? Because he's not looking at us as sinners. He's looking at the blood of Christ, which we have been covered. That's why we, all being the least in the kingdom of heaven, can be counted great because it is God's greatness and his goodness poured out upon us. Amen. This song goes on to say, My worth is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love at the cross. My worth is not in skill or name, in win or lose, in pride or shame, but in the blood of Christ that flowed at the cross. I wanted to wrap this message up um, just a little bit on the goodness of God and the, the trials that we all experience. And some very familiar verses here, Romans 8.28, we all know that God is working all things together for good for those that love him, those who are called according to his purpose. And we sometimes ask the question, how is God working this for good? You know? It's Houston... August and both of my AC units are out. How is this where, <laughs> you know? But um, it was actually Aaron Baker's dad. He, he pointed this out that has really stuck with me. In Isaiah 57, verse 15, it says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. God inhabits eternity. That's not, we are in time finite. But God was before time. He is beyond time. He knows everything that's happening in time. And guess what? We only see a little bit of that picture. But because God inhabits eternity, he can look down. And because he's infinite and all-powerful, he can see all of these things working together. And even as Joseph said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. God knows how all these things are working together for good because he sees it all and we don't. And so we just have to trust in him. Whatever comes our way, we have to trust in him. Romans 5, 3 through 5. Uh, when I was in college, I just moved to Houston. I was going to the University of Houston. Um, stepped into my wife's father's church and uh, didn't really know anybody. Didn't even know what I was doing, if I was supposed to be here or not. But the Sunday school teacher, he taught on Romans 5. And verses 3 through 5 says, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint or put us to shame because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that was given to us. For a long time, I would look at that verse and I would think, yeah, God's doing something good in me. These trials are, are doing something good in me, right? They're, they're helping me to persevere. They're giving me endurance, right? I'm, he's building character in me. But I didn't really think about the second half of that verse, which talks about hope not disappointing. But when you think about what this is saying, it said, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured into our hearts. Well, when is the love of God poured into your heart? When you become a believer, right? God, he, he pours his love into us. He saves us. And so what is he saying here? 
Because the love of God has been poured in our hearts by the Holy Spirit has given us. All these trials, we don't have to fret because they're pointing us to that hope we have, our ultimate hope, the hope we have of eternity. So that no matter what happens in this world, no matter what happens in life, if like I said last week, if we are completely destitute living under a bridge, we still have that hope of eternity. And that is something that these trials point us to. They remind us that one day, every tear will be wiped away. There will be no more sorrow, crying, or pain. God is so good that even our trials point us to his goodness. Charles Spurgeon said, There is as much love in the blows of God's hand as the kisses of his mouth. I'll just end it with this uh, last verse, Psalm 31, verses 19. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. His goodness is so good. And I, I hope that all of you, no matter what you're going through, that you can remember God is so good. And remember that one day there will be no more sorrow or pain. And we have that hope. So let's, uh, let's pray. And Dwight, you can lead us in song. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for your goodness. I know I can only scratch the surface of how good you truly are. But Lord, we thank you that you are good, that you're always with us. You will never leave us nor forsake us. And no matter what happens in this life, you will one day wipe all our tears away. Lord, we praise you as our sovereign heavenly Father, as our Savior who died for us, as a Spirit who intercedes on our behalf. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name for your glory. Amen.